So today's the fifth Sunday of Lent, and we are quickly approaching Resurrection Sunday. Um, and I'm moving away from the Sermon on the Mount today, and so the next three Sundays, today, Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday, we will be out of the Sermon on the Mount, and we will pick back up with that after uh, Easter. So as I said, we are quickly approaching Resurrection Sunday, and, and Jesus knew as we look at this text today, we, he knew that the ministry was quickly coming to fruition. He knew what was ahead. He, he knew what he had come to earth for. He knew what his mission was. He knew that everything he had done, every miracle he had performed, uh, every teaching, every preaching that he had taught and preached, every relationship up to this point had meaning, had purpose in what his mission was. And he was to travel to Jerusalem for this final time for the purpose of his incarnation. He was to travel to Jerusalem for this final time to carry out the work of the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God. Now, you, you might wonder why I would choose a text from John's Gospel or even this text out of John 11 that we'll read in just a few moments. Why would I choose that uh, as we head into Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday the following week? And I will tell you that this is one of my favorite passages. It's, yes, it's, it's a story of Lazarus and Martha and Mary, but it's one of my favorite passages. And as I was thinking about heading into Holy Week and heading into uh, to Easter, this chapter kept coming back to mind. And uh, when, when that happens, I know the Holy Spirit is trying to tell me something, and I try to listen to what the Spirit's leading it is. And as I read through this particular text many times, I began to realize that there's this, this purpose of this event has a significant impact on us as believers today. And you may say, but this is about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Well, Let's see what the scripture has to say to us today. I pray that you will pay attention to especially these two verses that I'm going to read. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, uh, the 11th chapter of John, I'm going to read two verses. I'm going to be preaching from the first 44 verses, uh, but I only want to read two because I want you to hear what John recants what the Holy Spirit has given him to share even with us today of this story of Jesus and Lazarus. Verse 4 reads this way, But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that, and you remember there's, important things that follow the so that, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. 
And then if you go from verse 4 to verse 40, it says, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe that you will see the glory of God? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate for us these, your holy words. May it bring light to us. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Wow, right? I mean, you hear those two verses, and you see that Jesus is talking about that God, his Father, is going to be glorified. And in verse 4, he even says, and the Son of Man is going to be glorified. The Son of God will be glorified by what is about to take place. We get to the end of the story, and remember I said I was going to, to preach through verse 44 we get to the end of the story, right towards the end, and, and Jesus again says, but this time, did I not say to you, if you believe, and there's a key piece, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. This story is about the glory of God, that the glory of God may be seen so that the Son of Man may be glorified. Keep that in mind as we go through the story. Jesus, as we look at John's account and we back up a few chapters and we look at chapter 9, and, and Jesus has healed the man that was blind from birth on Sunday, on the Sabbath rather, on the Sabbath day, and he has caught flack from the, the Pharisees. And... Um, so when they heard that this man had been healed, they questioned the man about who healed you and when did this happen. And so they excommunicated the man that had been blind from birth. They excommunicated him from the synagogue. They kicked him out, it says. And so Jesus goes and finds him and says, hey, dude. I don't know that he said, hey, dude, but he could have said, hey, dude. What in the world? What's, what's happened? Do you not know who has healed you? And he says, I don't know. I know I was blind, and, and, and this man healed me. And he says, I'm the man. And he says, Lord, and it says in the text, if you read chapter 9, that the man believed and worshipped, uses the term there, worshipped Jesus. So the, the scribes and the, the Pharisees are, are not happy about this. And so they are angry to the point that they want Jesus dead. They want to stone him. It even says that they picked up stones to stone him, but his time had not come, and he was able to, to go uh, through them, apart from them. And then you come to chapter 10, and chapter 10 is a very important piece that leads us into the text for today. Because Jesus begins to use this analogy, and it's where two of the I am statements are in chapter 10. And, and so Jesus says, I am the door. And he talks about the sheep, and, and we talked about this on Wednesday night as we were looking at this statement, I am the door, I am the gate. 
this, this I am statement from Jesus. And how he says, I know my sheep, and my sheep hear my voice, and they know me. And all that Jesus was saying and teaching, this analogy of shepherds and sheep and how it comes together, because in verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd, which is the next I am statement in John chapter 10. And he talks about this relationship between shepherd and sheep. And he is challenging those that are listening to him and especially when it comes to the scribes and the Pharisees, because he says they don't know. They, they think they know, but they don't know their sheep. And their sheep that they are supposed to be over do not know them. And so he is, he is teaching and preparing them for what's to come. In chapter 10, he asserts his deity of, of who he is and why he came. And then we know that they are trying to look at ways to, to t kill him, stone him. They they've begin to talk about um, how can they catch him and get rid of him. And we get to chapter 11. And... Mary and Martha and Lazarus were good friends of Jesus. They were friends and they send a message to Jesus that the brother, Lazarus, is sick. He's deathly sick and they want Jesus to come. They want him to come to Bethany, which is just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. And Thomas takes issue. Thomas says, wait a minute, we're not going. Uh, in fact, you don't need to go because you know they want to kill you. And Jesus said, we're going. We're going to wait. We're going to wait a little bit. We're going, though. And Thomas says, well, if you're going to go, then I guess we'll go with you and go to our death right with you. And we could preach a lot on that, too, about Thomas actually saying, yeah, I'll go with you and, and die if that's what happens. But Jesus receives this word, and he says, this sickness will bring glory to God so that the Son of Man, the Son of Man, Jesus, will be glorified. And he waits. And the disciples first have this, that, well, Lazarus is just sick, and he's falling asleep, and and then Jesus, finally in verse 14, he has to say, look, guys, Lazarus is dead. He's gone. He's dead as a doornail. He, he's dead. I mean, just comes out and tells them he's dead. And then he makes this statement. I've always marveled at this. He states, look, I am glad that he is dead. How about that? Jesus tells his disciples, look guys, he's dead. And not only that, I'm glad that he's dead. Why is Jesus glad that he's dead? He says, I'm glad that he's dead and I was not there 
there's another so that. So that you might believe. So that we, the church, might believe. Here's another huge teachable moment for Jesus as he's teaching his disciples, as he knows what's ahead. Because this story is going to come to play in their ministry following Pentecost. It's going to have a huge impact on those of the early church as they began to proclaim the word of God. Now, as custom, they would hire mourners to come. And it was no different at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. There were many Jews that had come, and they were mourning over the loss. They would even hire and sometimes pay, you know, like, professional mourners to come and be there. And so Jesus has waited, and when he arrives, Lazarus has been dead how many days? Four days been dead four days that's an important number also we'll look at in a minute Martha hears that that Jesus is close and she runs out and the very first words out of Martha's mouth to Jesus is Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died even so I know that whatever you ask of God God will give you really I'm not sure Martha believed that. I, I'm not sure, and, and you'll see why I would say that. Now, I'm, I'm sure she has seen the miracles. She has seen a lot that Jesus has done over his ministry. And, and if you would have been here, he would not have died. I believe she believed that. But I, I'm not sure when she says, whatever you ask of God now, he'll do for you. Because this exchange in this story is so important for us to see and to understand. We cannot miss this part about the glory of God and why this is an important part of the story. And so Jesus looks at Martha and says, your brother arise again. And she says, oh, I know that. He'll rise in the last day. And, you know, Jesus then gives her one of the I am statements, again, from John's gospel. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. You know that statement. You've been raised, most of you, in the church, or you've been a part of the church long enough that you know that's one of those important I am statements that's in the gospel. But do we hear it for what it is? I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? Jesus asked. I would ask you, church, do you believe this? I'm not sure that every Christian has the grasp of that statement. When I was in the 
two-point charge that I was pastoring when I was in seminary, um, we had a family of six siblings that were a part of the church. And um, Miss Sadie was the patriarch of the family. She was the oldest. And she lived right down the street from the church, and or the road wasn't a street, it was a road. We were in the country. And I, I could walk down to her house and would often from the parsonage. And so we had a great relationship, and I did with the rest of the family. And uh, Miss Sadie was a strong believer in, in Jesus Christ. Uh, she began to get sick and get sick to the point that she had to be in a nursing home for care. And I would go visit her, and we would talk, and, and she continued to progress uh, downhill with her illness. And one night at 2 o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call, and it was Edith, her sister, and she said, Sadie, uh, the doctor has said that Sadie doesn't have much long, uh, longer to live, and uh, I just wanted you to know. So I went over to the nursing home. I got there uh, in Durham between 2 and 3. And the six siblings, or the five siblings, uh, were in the hallway and went up and greeted them. And, and I knew what, because of my relationship with Miss Sadie, I knew what they had been telling her. And Edith was crying and she said, it's just not time for her to go. If she goes, we're going to be lost and, and, and God can heal her. I know if you will go in there and pray for her that God's going to heal her and she can leave this nursing home. And the others said, yeah, yeah, let's just go in and pray for her healing. And I looked at them and I said, do you understand the promise that God has made? That though we die in this life, that there is life to come, that even though we die, we will live? You're, you're asking your sister to hold on for your sake? What you need to do is to go in and release her because you have been telling her over and over again, hold on, God is going to heal you so that you will be okay. I said, you need to go in and tell her it's okay to go home. And they went in, and one by one, they whispered in her ear, it's okay. God's got this. We held hands around that bed that night. I was holding Miss Sadie's hand, and someone was holding my right all the way around back to her left hand. And while we were praying, she went to the Lord. Because of the promise that God had made through Jesus, his son, that all who believe, even though they die, they will live. It is a promise that we need to hear and we need to hold on to. I was holding on to the hand of Wilbur in the... Um, intensive care unit as Joanna had to make that decision to cut off the life support because of the stroke that he had had that had just zapped his entire brain. I was holding his hand when he died. And she looked at him and she said, I'll see you one day because she knew and I knew whose Wilbur's was. I was holding Mike Christian's hand when he passed away 
and he looked at the end of the bed, and you've heard that story from me before. He had been in a coma for days, and he looked up as I was holding his hand and said, he's here for me, and he passed away. Oh, snap. Y'all might not want me to hold your hand. If you get sick and I try to hold your hand, say, that's okay, I'll pass. It is so important for us to understand this promise that, that God has given us through his son, Jesus. And this story is more about Jesus than it is about Lazarus. It's more about Jesus than it is about Lazarus coming back to life because Lazarus is going to die again. You know, Lazarus isn't still walking around in Palestine or Jerusalem. He's gone again. This was about the Father being glorified and glorifying his son. Yes, they had seen the cures and even had seen Jairus' daughter being raised, the widow's son being raised. But at this point, their brother had been dead for four days. And even Mary comes out and, and says that same thing to Jesus. If you had just been here, something would have been different. You could have done something. But Lazarus, her brother, has been dead now for four days. And, and it says that Jesus wanted to go and, and see where you have... where. I want to see where you have placed him. And the mourners are there. The Jews are there. They're still weeping. And then the scripture tells us, you know, the shortest verse in the Bible. Everybody knows this is the shortest verse. Jesus wept. And everybody, because of what some around him say, oh, he just loved him so dearly. I do not believe, I do not believe that's why Jesus was, was weeping. I don't believe it was because Lazarus had died because Jesus knew what he was fixing to do. He, he knew he was fixing to raise this man from the dead. Jesus, I believe, was weeping at this moment because of two things. One, he still knew that many did not understand who he was. Over and over here, if you read these 44 verses, you see if you will believe, if you will believe, if you will believe God sent me, if you will believe who I am. But there's another piece. I believe that Jesus also was thinking about what was ahead. Because he knew his death was intending and that he would take on the sins of the world, the very sins of the world. He would take my sins upon his body and so it's been four days and Jesus tells them to roll the stone away no we're not going to do that Jesus this man's decaying now they believed there was a tradition at that time where they believed that the spirit would hover for three days over the body but after three days, the spirit has departed and the body is decaying and the body is no more viable. And so it's been four days. And that four day here is important because, again, Jesus says, if you will believe, you will see the Son of Man glorified. 
And so Jesus says, do you believe? You will see the glory of God. So I'm not sure whether Martha and Mary and the others continued to um, object in some way, but someone, someone did what Jesus asked. They rolled the stone away. Four days, a decaying man, what could he do? What he could do is show the glory of God. What he could do is raise Lazarus from the dead. You know the rest of the story, right? Jesus prayed. You thought I was going to say Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. That's not what happened next. What happened next, after the stone was rolled away, is that Jesus prayed. In verse 41, says, Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I knew that you always hear me, but, listen to what Jesus says in this prayer, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me that they may believe that you sent me. Again, we see that this is a story that God and the Son of God would be glorified through this event. Lazarus would live to die again. This story is about Jesus. And he cries out, come forth, and Lazarus comes forth from the grave, and he tells them to unbind him and Let him go. Let him go. The dead man is alive. And then in verse 45, I think we miss this sometimes. Because you see, all through this story, through the first 44 verses of this 11th chapter of John, Jesus has been saying, God is going to be glorified. I'm going to be glorified. If you will believe in me, you're going to have life. You're going to have eternal life. If you will believe in me, you will see the glory of God. And then in verse 45, it says, many Jews believed in him that day. Many Jews believed in him that day. This is a story about Jesus. Not so much, though it is a great story that Lazarus is alive again after four days. This story is about Jesus. And this story impacted the disciples following Pentecost. Because following Pentecost and having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they began to proclaim this gospel that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Because Jesus The tomb was empty. He had been raised from the dead. They had seen him. They had walked with him. They had talked with him, ate with him before his ascension. And now the Holy Spirit has come on them, and they are telling the story so that God may be glorified and that others would believe. 
if you are a believer this morning or you're a believer watching online and, and not here in person, someone has shared the story of the glory of God with you in some way. And some of you would say, well, I grew up in the church. I don't remember. I didn't have that lightning bolt experience in coming to Christ. I grew up in the church, and at some point I realized that I trusted God as my or Jesus as my Savior. You still at some point had to make that realization that you had surrendered to God. That Jesus was the resurrection and the life for you. That because of what he had done on the cross, because of his resurrection, he gave you eternal life. You had to acknowledge at some point to be a believer of what Christ has done. The preacher Donald Gray Barnhouse lost his wife at an early age. He had his six-year-old daughter that was still in the home. And it was, he says it's a, it was a really difficult time, not only to own his own grief of losing his wife so young, but the hardest part was, he said, not only trying to comfort myself, but to explain to a six-year-old why her mom was no longer with us. He said, all of my education, all of my theological training, all that I had experienced, he said, left me at a loss of how to help her to understand. And then he tells the story. He says, one day he and his daughter, they were standing at a busy corner in the city in which they lived. And he said it was a downtown intersection. They were waiting for the light to change. And he said, suddenly a very large truck zoomed by the corner and briefly blocked out the sun, and it frightened his daughter. He said to comfort her, he picked her up in his arms to hold her. And he said, at that moment, the Holy Spirit gave me the words to explain to his daughter about her mom. And, and here's what he said to her. When you saw the truck pass by, it scared you. But let me ask you this. Had you rather been struck by the truck or struck by the shadow of the truck? And she said, of course, Daddy, the shadow. And then he said, when your mother died, and I'm quoting Barnhouse, when your mother died, she was only hit by the shadow of death because Jesus was hit by the truck. In other words, death. The psalmist reminds us, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. 
we are only hit by the shadow of death. Our bodies are, this body is going to uh, fail. It's not imperishable. But this perishable body, as it fails, we have the promise that because of what Jesus has done, we have life in his name. Our debts are canceled. We have been forgiven. We belong to him. And because we belong to him, this is what the scripture reminds us of. If we are to be a reflection of Christ to the world, we have to ask ourselves, how are we reflecting his glory? If we have been saved, if our purpose is to glorify God, and if you remember the shorter catechism, the first question, what is the chief end, chief end of man? And the answer to that is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If that is our purpose, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, we have to ask ourselves, how are we reflecting that glory in the world? How are we living out that Jesus is our life, that he is the resurrection, that he has imputed to us Forgiveness for our sins. We have to ask ourselves, is my life a reflection of Christ in the words that I speak? Is my life a reflection of Christ in the deeds that I do? Are, are my very thoughts, my thoughts, even the, the very things that I think in my head, are they a reflection of Christ as I live out this life? that he has called me to? I can't answer that for you. You have to answer those questions. You have to answer them. I have to answer them for myself. But I can tell you it is important, church, that we answer those questions. If we are believers in Jesus Christ and we have given our life to him and we are to share the gospel and we're to share this good news if we are to glorify Christ in all that we do, if we are to live this righteous life before him and before others, how are we? Or are we? Jesus in this text over and over again says that you may believe, that you may believe that I am the son of God, that you may my Father in heaven may be glorified, that I may be glorified through this. This is about Jesus. Yes, Jesus does all the wooing, all the saving. Holy Spirit is the one who, who calls those into to faith. But somehow, some way, God decided that he wanted to use you and me and others to go and to tell this gospel story of who he is and what he's done. And how awesome is that? Somebody should have said, thank you, Jesus, but that's okay. Are we glorifying God? John tells us as we move on in this particular chapter that the Pharisees now begin in earnest 
because they've heard what Jesus has done. They have heard that he has raised Lazarus from the dead. They understand that he is equating himself to Jehovah God, and they are quickly trying to find a way because Passover's coming. Passover is coming. And Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's ahead. The gospel message has not changed. Jesus has proclaimed it, and we are to reflect it. The only question that you and I have to answer this morning is, are we? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this, your holy word. Thank you that you remind us through your word of who you are and what you have done through your son, our Savior, Jesus. Father, you glorified him as he performed the miracles and the works. And Father, you have asked us not only to believe, but to live faithfully as we believe in sharing what Christ has done for us with others. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we would examine our life. Part of Lent is to examine who we are and how we are living out our faith. And so, Father, this morning, even now, I would pray that we would examine ourselves. Is our speech, is our deed, are our thoughts such that glorify you? And, and how are we a reflection of Christ in a lost world? Father, I pray that you would help us to wrestle with that. So that the righteousness of faith that you have called us to is a part of our everyday life. May it be so, Father. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.